the church. We're glad to hear this morning. Let's begin by entering to prayer together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for loving us so much that you'd give us the most precious person in the universe, your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. We thank you, Father, that you raised him from the dead on the third day. We thank you, Father, that you've also made it so simple for somebody to have eternal life, and that is to just believe in your Son and his death and resurrection. Father, we ask today that the Holy Spirit would guide us in our gathering together and our service today. We pray also, Father, for those who cannot be with us for whatever reason, in particular if the um, COVID virus is preventing them from being with us face to face. We pray also for our country this morning, and you know what we need, and we just ask that you would uh, come through for us once again, even though as usual we don't deserve it, but that's what grace is all about. And uh, we thank you that you have given us in your word the promises that we have as the body of Christ and those hold true no matter what the outward circumstances. We want to thank you so much for all of this. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Please stand and worship with us. Good morning, everybody. I see you're all still there. That's good. Let's uh, a couple of announcements today as we get started. Every month we do uh, feature a different missionary um, or organization. This month it's Pastor Kingsley Emaniki, and he's been here. He was here about a year ago. Was it a year ago? Yeah. And uh, he's a great individual, um, very faithful to the teachings of the Word of God. He's from Africa originally. He's from Nigeria. He's now he's now moved to Canada. He still goes to Africa, and we actually want to keep him in prayer. He had made I mentioned this last week, but he made great plans for 2020 as far as where he's going to go. Um, but then there's something called the COVID-19 virus that kind of has curtailed that for the time being. But he still wants to get. Please pray that he gets there to Nigeria and Zambia this year. He'd also like to come in to South Florida. And I told him if you do come to South Florida, it has to be after October. See, I, he, he came right on the cusp. I remember last year, like May or something like that. He says, "No, that's too late. You got to come during the, the coldest part of the year when it only gets to 82 um, in Florida." <laughs> um. Yeah, and here's a, I love maps, so I just want to show you the two places, mostly for geography lessons for everybody, you know, because we're always, never mind, I'm reading a book on geography, there's all kinds of places in the world that I knew nothing about, like Central Asia and the interior of China and everything, but anyway, I babble, but that's Nigeria, that's Zambia, okay. Um, also this morning, I want to make you aware of some needs that we have in the area of the homeless ministry that I know many of you have met Bud Duncan by now. Um, He and his wife have a homeless ministry. It's a courageous thing to do right now because of the COVID-19 virus. Um, But they are working with some people that have just just gotten them off the streets. Um, They're in a place now, and they want to stock up their their refrigerator and their shelves and so forth. So any food donations can now. They don't want perishable um, that you would like to make to help out his um, cause among the homeless. They also right now need some shoes. Uh, man's size 11 and woman's size 7 or 7 and a half. Um, and I know the woman in particular needs, uh, I guess they're called business shoes, whatever they're called, but they have, a, they have a toe on them, you know, they can't stick your feet out. All right, anyway, my, my lack of understanding of female attire aside, um, speaking of COVID-19, we of course are taking precautions with COVID-19. If you're feeling sick, please don't come. If you're elderly or uh, you feel like you have a, a, a higher risk, we, un- we understand that completely. We have the live broadcast. When we're here, we do want to keep the six-foot rule, set separation. That's why we're going every other row now. Um, families, of course, can stay together because if you have it, you've already infected each other. So, no, I know that's... 
Anyway, I was thinking about speaking. I kind of lightened this up just a tad because it's not. It's tough, man. I was thinking one of the hardest things about 2020 and all the things we're going through is that we really don't have comedians anymore to lighten the mood because they're so afraid of saying anything that might not be politically correct. But in any event, I do want to point out some advantages to wearing a mask. There are some advantages. Like I was driving to work to, to, to school. To, yeah, I guess it's work to church today. And I was thinking, you know what? Um, I'm drinking coffee in the car. And, uh, you know, I, I like to have fresh breath. I'm not going to have fresh breath. And then it hit me. I'm wearing a mask. It doesn't matter. You know, if you have green teeth, celebrate. No one's going to see him anymore. So there are some advantages to wearing a mask in these tough times. All right. Well, enough, enough levity. Let's get started with the message. Actually, this is a very inspiring message today. Um, we sang about the victory this morning, and there is nothing greater for us than to realize that someday we are going to be resurrected and have resurrection bodies, like the human body of Jesus Christ. We've been studying this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we're coming to the climactic section at the end of chapter 15. If you would, please turn in your Bibles now to 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 50. 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 50. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory. It's his victory and he shares it with us. 1 Corinthians 15, 50. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will all be changed. That could happen tonight. That's called the rapture of the church. Okay, It means that we will no longer be in these bodies of corruption. We'll no longer be on planet earth with all the trials and difficulties and tragedies and afflictions in an instant. In the twinkling of an eye, we'll we'll have our resurrection bodies and we'll be lifted into the clouds with Christ and the rest of the body of Christ to be with him forever. Now, that's something to get excited about. That's something to get up with in the morning with anticipation. Not only that, but we're going to go through verse 57 today. We're going to save the last verse, actually, for next week. The reason for that is is that when we look at this issue of resurrection, it's so amazing, and we think we're on the mountaintop, hope we do, and then, but then we realize we've got to come back down, and we've got to then take what we've learned and how it's changed us, and that ought to change how we live. See, we ought to live victoriously since we have the victory. And so we're going to talk about that next week. That's in verse 58. But let's keep going. Verse 54. But when this perishable, this body of corruption, this body of death, when this perishable will have put on the imperishable resurrection body, and this mortal, a body that dies, will have put on immortality, a body that will never die, then... We'll come, at that moment will come about for us the saying that is written. This is Old Testament. We're going to see more about this. Death is swallowed up in victory. Death is swallowed up. I don't know why, but I always have this picture of the food chain. Have you ever seen that in the ocean where you have this little fish swallowed up by a little bigger fish? That's the picture I have about death is going to be like swallowed up in the victory of Christ's resurrection. Oh, death, where is your victory? He taunts death. Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, be immovable, be always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Knowing that we will be resurrected, that our bodies are very important to God. He shows that because he's going to resurrect us in a perfect body. And then he says, now that you're here, you understand that and you're here on earth, please understand that everything that you do with your body that's good is not in vain in the Lord. Right? We will be judged by what we do in the body, whether good or bad. That's what we, that's what we see in uh, 2 Corinthians. Well, last Sunday we started on this passage, verses 50 to 58. And as we saw, this is the climax of the whole subject that Paul has been dealing with in chapter 15, the resurrection of the dead. The resurrection of the dead. 
So today we're going to pick things up in verse 54. Again, we're going to cover 54 through 57 today. And we're going to wrap up the chapter with one verse. We haven't done that in a while. But one verse, verse 58 in chapter 15. So again, let's read verses 54 to 57 again. But when this perishable will put on the imperishable, and this mortal will put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, verses 54b, which is where we're going to pick it up today, it harkens back to the prophets in the Old Testament. Now, prophets, remember, look forward. A lot of times they look forward to things that they don't know when it's going to happen. They've been, they had, they've been having something that the Lord has said, hey, you speak this to the people, even though you don't understand it. That happens often with the prophets. Definitely here. But then Paul is going to take what the prophets said and then use it to taunt death itself in view of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All right, verses 56 and 57 show that Christ's victory is complete. It's complete. What do I mean by that? It encompasses sin. It encompasses death and the law. All the things that have, that have defeated us as fallen man, Christ has defeated in his resurrection. Sin, it's in his death and resurrection. Sin, death itself, and the law. And it's actually the curse of the law, because the law is good. We're going to see more about that today. All right, so that's where we're going to head today. Next week, verse 58, he links our future to the victorious life we are called to live now. Our future should become our present. That's what he's going to say in verse 58. Since your future is totally hopeful, you should be hopeful now. Since your future is in a resurrection body of unlimited power, you need to understand that you have the power of the Spirit now to live victoriously in view of what's going to happen in the future. All right, so back in verse 54, one more time. We've seen this several times. He describes the nature of the transformation, the nature of the change, right? From perishable to bodies that die to imperishable, to bodies that will never die, from mortal to immortal. And one day, this perishable will bear the image of the imperishable. And that, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ. We will actually be bearing the image of the Lord Jesus Christ in his humanity. So then we'll come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Now, in verses 54b and 55, Paul, again, is drawing from what the prophets said in the Old Testament. And from that, we can see, we'll see this in a minute as well, that the Lord made a promise. He's doing that a lot with the prophets, especially, you know, well, actually all of them. Some of the promises are good. And in the case of the nation of Israel, some of the promises are also bad. In any event, they're promises, all right, in the form of predictions about the future and that the Lord's plan cannot be thwarted. Well, he made a promise in the Old Testament that one day, death itself would no longer reign over the human race. So you can, you can just bulldoze all of those tombs, all right? You can get rid of the hospitals. None of that's going to be needed because death will no longer reign as king over the human race, enslaving the human race in fear. There will be a day, and for us, it could be any time, where death will no longer reign, ever, 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 ever again. In fact, it will be wiped out entirely. Death, the dread enemy of the human race. Death, which people go to great lengths to avoid. Death that causes fear in the hearts of man. That causes them to do things that are irrational at times because of that fear that takes, that takes us and them over. Gone. Wiped out entirely. But you see, one of the things the prophets didn't know was how. They, they heard the, that, the promise, but they didn't know how. They didn't know how it's going to happen. How would death no longer reign? It seemed impossible. They couldn't understand it. They couldn't comprehend. How could that happen? Just like the... the, the uh, some of the people in the church of Corinth were saying, how can this body of corruption that dies and goes into the grave be resurrected? Remember, they thought in terms of uh, the fact that the body's bad, it's good that it's in the ground, and then we'll just be spirits. They didn't grasp 
any understanding of how could the Lord do that. And it's only the revelation, the mystery that has been revealed to Paul and that he expresses here in chapter, in chapter 15 that any of us can understand how that happens. We wouldn't have figured it out on our own. So it was a mystery until the Lord revealed the resurrection of the dead to Paul, as we see here in chapter 15. Well, I mentioned the prophets. He turns to two of them here in this passage in chapter 15, verses 54b and 55. Isaiah, which is an incredible book, by the way. If, if, I, if you would ask me, what prophet should I read first? Okay, well, I said, if you want brevity, you know, maybe Joel. But if you want, mm, if you want to know as much as you can about what the Old Testament prophets understood and saw about the future Messiah, read Isaiah. If you want to see it in its grandest scope, what the Lord has planned and has done in his plan for the nation of Israel, read Isaiah. We're going to go a snippet today and see what that's all about. And then Hosea as well. He quotes both of those. So please turn now to Isaiah chapter 25, verse 7. Isaiah chapter 25, verse 7. We'll get started with these two prophets this morning. Isaiah and Hosea, they were, they were more or less contemporaries. All right, they're more or less contemporaries. We're going to see what they have to say. Hosea directs his remarks to the northern kingdom, Isaiah to the kingdom of Judah. Remember, they were split, and they were really opposite in a lot of respects. The northern kingdom worshipped false gods. Judah was supposed to be worshipping the god of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They didn't all the time either, as we'll see. Isaiah 25, verses 7 to 9. And on this mountain, Mount Zion, he will swallow up the covering which is over all peoples. That's death, by the way. He will swallow up the covering which is over all peoples. No matter how great you are, no matter how many contributions you've made to the human race, no matter what brilliance, no matter what you do in this earth, it ends in death. You think about it. A person lives their whole life. They gain all this wisdom. And they gain all of this experience. And they've created and accomplished great things. All of it ends in the grave. And that, that is something that's, that, again, it, it covers all peoples. There's nobody exempt from that. All right? The veil which is stretched over all the nations. And then, our, then this is what Paul quotes in our passage today in verse 54b. He will swallow up death for all time. This was prophesied by Isaiah all right, back thousands of years ago. He will swallow up death for all time, and the Lord God will wipe tears away from all faces. Whatever you're facing right now, just go to Isaiah chapter 25, verse 8. Remind yourself about the promise God has. Remind yourself. By the way, also in this book of Isaiah, a little later on, He's going to talk about a time when the Assyrian army has gathered and surrounded the city of Jerusalem. It looked hopeless. There were 125,000 soldiers. Think about that. I mean, we get all nervous and shook up maybe about a mob of 1,000. There were 125,000 enemy soldiers around the city of Jerusalem. And the Lord said, this will not stand. They will not destroy my city. And they didn't because overnight, somehow or other, in a miraculous way, the Lord wiped out. He did it. Himself, the angel of the Lord, wiped out 125,000 soldiers. So put that in your pipe and smoke it. I don't recommend smoking anymore. But um, think about that. Again, the next time you're looking at the situation here in America and it looks bleak and we see attacks on the church and we think that there's going to be mob rule in the streets, just remember... That there was a day when the Lord fulfilled his promise to the city of Jerusalem and he was able to wipe out 125,000 of the enemies of Jerusalem overnight. Overnight. And he will remove the reproach of his people from all the earth. No more anti-Semitism. For the Lord has spoken. What the Lord has spoken will come about. And it will be said in that day. By the way, for us, it's the rapture. He didn't know about that. In that day, all right, this he's talking about the second coming of Christ. Behold, this is our God for whom we have waited and waited that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. And let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. The bones of Joseph, if you know about that, have been waiting a long time for the resurrection. For us, it could be tomorrow. 
Or we're waiting to, we're anticipating, joyfully. Isaiah knew nothing about the church age, nothing about the rapture. But he was describing events at the end times for Israel. The millennial reign, and most importantly, the eternal state after that. Because the last enemy, if you read the book of Revelation, we're going to go there now. There's one enemy that God saved for last. Remember, he said, sit at my right hand until I make all your enemies a footstool for your feet. Well, there's one that is hanging around to the end. Because you want, you know, like a fireworks display, the greatest part comes at the end. Same thing here. Look at Re- Revelation chapter 20, verse 13. Revelation 20, verse 13. Satan and the fallen angels, boom, in the lake of fire. We're going to see here, all unbelievers, by the way, they're all enemies of the God, by the way. So that, that's something to keep in mind, that you can change some, you can't do it, but you can give somebody the message that turns them around from being an enemy to God to this beloved child by preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, correctly, I might add. All right? That's how powerful the words that you have are. Because God gave them to you. And death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Notice what is thrown into the lake of fire in verse 14. Death is destroyed. Death is in the lake of fire. Hades, the graves, are in the lake of fire forever. Never to be heard from again. Wiped out. Alright, that's the second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found in the book of life, he was also thrown into the lake of fire. End of chapter 15. I mean 20. 20. Now let's go to the first verse of chapter 21. Then... I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away. Why? Because it had fallen along with mankind. And no longer any sea. I always feel bad with a fisherman when I read verse 21. I mean chapter 21 verse 1. Don't ask me why. I don't know. There will no longer be any sea. So in, verse 20, in chapter 21 verse 1, it's a new heaven and a new earth. We're in the book of Revelation. It's the time at which the eternal state will kick in. At the moment, we saw this last week, when the Lord Jesus Christ, having all the enemies subdued, will then take the kingdom, remember, and give it to his Father, so that God will be all in all. This is the moment. This is the moment when there's a new heaven and a new earth. So it shouldn't be surprising that that Isaiah 25, 8 passage that Paul is, is citing in chapter 15 of the first Corinthians, well, guess what? It shows up again. I want you to look at verse 4 of chapter 21. Look at verse 4 of chapter 21. This is what Isaiah was pointing to. He didn't know when, he didn't know how. Notice. And he, the Lord, will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will no longer be any death. Think of it. Isaiah, thousands of years ago, made a prophecy by the giving of, of the words of the Holy Spirit, where one day there would be no longer any death. But he didn't know when, and he didn't know how. But here we know when. And in 1 Corinthians 15, we know how. The resurrection body. There will no longer be any mourning, or crying, or pain. The first things have passed away. The first thing is everything we've ever known since the day we were born. Those are the first things. The fallen things. This fallen earth, our fallen bodies. Anger, hatred, revenge, all the things that were part of this fallen world, a part of us as bodies of corruption, the old man, right? Then God says, I will make all things new, including the heaven, heaven and earth. All right, well, that's pretty exciting. And I want you to understand that that's the, that's the sweep of prophecy, but not all the blanks filled in. But then the, then the New Testament comes along and fills in the blanks and puts a few things in there, like the church. Thank God he did, right? Because we now have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Because God saw fit to have a moment when his son would come to earth and die for our sins and be raised from the dead on the third day. And whoever believes in him will never perish, but have eternal life. And then be placed into the body of Christ where we'll be forever. And one day we'll see it, what it all means in our very bodies when we're resurrected to be with him forever. 
All right, let's go back to verse 55 of 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, 55. Because the end of verse 54, we just saw as a quotation from Isaiah. Well, we're going to look at verse 55. If you have a New American Standard Bible, you see these are all in capital letters. That always means it's a quotation from the Old Testament. That's why I love what they did that. They don't do that in a lot of the uh, English translations, but they do here. And it's great because as a teacher, I can go, oh, it's from the Old Testament. I wonder where. It's very exciting for me. I don't know if it's exciting for you, but be that as it may, it should be, especially this subject. Look at verse 55. Oh, death. This is the taunt. Imagine the chutzpah of a man to taunt death. Think of it. Verbally. Talking to death. Saying what? Where's your victory? Like, come on. Give it your best shot. Where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? You've been torturing the human race for eons and eons because the sting that you have, well, guess what? The sting has been removed. The poison has been taken away by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, verse 55, I mean, verse 54b is pretty much a direct quotation from Isaiah. Verse 55 is more of a paraphrase than a direct quotation. We're going to see why that is. Actually, the reason is striking. All right? there's, no, there's no fooling around or confusion or slippage in the Holy Spirit inspiring the writing of the Bible. There's always a reason for whatever you see. If you see something as a loose translation, a paraphrase, there's a really good reason. And we're going to see that right now. But first, please turn to Hosea. Please turn to Hosea chapter 13, verse 14. This is what Paul loosely cites, paraphrases in verse 55 of chapter 15 of the book of 1 Corinthians. Hosea, chapter 13, verse 14. It's after Ezekiel. Okay? To give you a kind of a frame of reference. I have these things in my head. Like I know there's four major prophets and there's a book of Lamentations in between. So I have that block figured out. All right? I know before that, which is the wisdom, you know, the Psalms and Proverbs. And then after that, there is like these, I don't know how many there are sometimes, but a bunch of what they call the minor prophets. Only minor because they're shorter. All right? When I wrote a blog, I said, you know what? I can't write a blog on Isaiah. <laughs> it's too much. So I picked Amos. You know, I figured that would be good. Actually, Amos, if you want to understand where we are as a country today, I say read the book of Amos because you'll see us clear as day in that, in that prophetic book in any event. It's not prophesying the United States, don't get me wrong. But the conditions that were in view in the nation of Israel thousands of years ago, when Amos wrote, they're all over us today. All right? Including the idea that, oh, you know, we have, a, we have a religion that's going to protect us. We have prosperity. We have a great military. We can't be worried about anything. Well, guess what? That, the Israelites thought the same thing right before they got wiped out. Boy, this is a really inspiring... Well, this is the agony and the ecstasy, right? The agony of this old world that we're in, the ecstasy of the rapture. All in one. Because that's the fact. That's what we face as, as members of the body of Christ. Hosea, chapter 13, verse 14. I want you to notice how we, we saw, we just saw what Paul did with this. All right? He said, oh, death, where's your victory? Taunting death, where's your sting? I want you to notice... What Hosea is representing here, though. Verse 14, shall I ransom them? This is the Lord speaking. Shall I ransom them from the power of Sheol? By the way, the answer here is no. Shall I redeem them, the northern kingdom of Israel, from death? The answer here is no. Oh, death, where are your thorns? This is not a taunt. This is a summons. It's saying, death, use your horn, the thorns. Death, O Sheol, the grave, where's your sting? In other words, we're, it's, it's time for you to really use it. Well, how do we know that? The last, the last sentence. Compassion will be hidden from my sight. All of what came before, in verse 14, is explained by that last statement. Compassion will be hidden from my sight. I dare say that when the Lord wipes out death, compassion will be all over his sight. This is something different. You see, here in Hosea's time, the Lord summoned the power of death to destroy unfaithful Ephraim. That's the northern kingdom. Death still had power to wipe out that unfaithful kingdom. Death still had its sting. 
Okay, then. That's before the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is why verse 55 is a paraphrase. Because what Paul does is transform this from a summons. Hey, death, it's time for you to do your horror to a taunt. Hey, death, you're not going to have this thing anymore. See, see the difference? Isn't it amazing how you can take the same concept and just flip it right around? There's so much of that goes on in the New Testament, by the way. Like the flip from law to grace. From the flip that's saying, I'll forgive your sins if you forgive others, to your sins have been forgiven. Now forgive others. Can you see the flip? There's so many flips from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And it's all based on the death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. As it is here. Paul transforms these words from Hosea from a summons of death to a taunt of death. Why? Because Christ has achieved the complete everlasting victory. Already accomplished at the cross and in the resurrection. Please understand this. We're sort of playing out, fancy word, the denouement. But we're playing out the, the, the conclusion, the, the implications of that. You know, it's kind of like saying, wow, we had the atomic bomb and we dropped it on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. It's a horrible, horrible thing, by the way. But what happened after that? Well, it was a, it was a foregone conclusion that that war was going to end, but it didn't end right away. There were the implications of that act that then floated through history for a little while. That's the same thing here. Death and resurrection of Christ is an accomplished fact. It has huge, incredible ripple effects throughout all of, of, the, of now and in the future. All right? but, but it's already happened. Christ has already achieved a complete, everlasting victory over sin and death. Because there's no Savior besides the Lord. That's what Hosea said. He saw it even then. All right, back to 1 Corinthians. Chapter 15, verse 56. We've just finished 54 and 55. And now we're going to take a look in some detail at what this all encompassed. What does it mean that death will be demolished? That death will be no more? What does it mean? How, how, do you, how do you look at all the things that are in place now and, and have the brazen capacity to say, Death, where's your sting? We're going to see why. Look at verse 56. The sting of death is what? Is sin. Now what does that mean? It means that before sin came into the human race, there wasn't any death. All right? And after sin is dealt with finally with the resurrection, guess what? Once again, there will not be any death. So interesting how if you put, this is why the Bible is definitely inspired by God. If you put Revelation together with Genesis, you'll see the power of the story of what Christ accomplished on the cross. Total flip back. Okay. The sting of death is sin. No sin, no death. Well, there will be death, but it won't have a sting. And the power of sin is the law. It's a very peculiar statement. We're going to dive into that a little bit. The power of sin is the law? You mean the power of breaking and entering is the law against breaking and entering? That's basically what he's saying here. We're going to look. <laughs> I know, it seems crazy, doesn't it? <laughs> the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ over all of those things. Now, I want you to notice it says, thanks be to God who gives us the victory. It's his. And he graciously shares it with us. Didn't have to, but he does. All the saints, all of us who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, all of us who have been adopted by the Father, share the victory over sin, death, and the curse of the Lord. I'd rather put it that way. But make no mistake here in verse 56. The fallen man faces a three-headed monster. It really is. Sin, death, and the curse of the law. But why the curse of the law? Because nobody could keep it. You're saying this is required and you can't do it. You know, it's like, it's like walking into math class the first day. And it's saying, it's, it's absolutely required that you can figure out the third differential of this equation. Oh, by the way, you can't do it. So you fail. You flunk. Well, that's the law. In turn, it, as a fallen man faces the law, you can't do it. As a matter of fact, the law 
stimulates more sinning. That's why it says the power of sin is the law. It stimulates more sinning. Think of it. I want you to think, why? Because the Lord had to show that sin was utterly sinful. That there was a no redeeming at all of the human race in its sinful condition. It had to be changed. It had to be changed. So yes, sin and death and the curse of the law are a three-headed monster because they're the mortal enemies of fallen man. But make no mistake about the law. It's holy and it's good. Same thing now. Our laws, even though people are flaunting them today, there's a lot of lawlessness in our country, they're basically good. The core of them, I mean, murder is wrong. And it's good that we have a law that says murder is wrong. The Lord gave it on Mount Sinai. Thou shalt not murder. That's holy and that's good when it's kept. You see it? It's holy and it's good. The problem isn't with the law. It's holy. It's perfect. The problem is with us. The law is holy and good, but... The law resulted in death because of sin. All right. Please, please make that distinction. I'm not saying the law is bad. We're saying the curse of the law is bad. The fact that we're cursed because we can't keep it. That's the, that is the sting, as it were. That is the power. Romans 6.23. Please turn there now. Romans 6.23. We're going to see what this is all about in the book of Romans. Remember... Repetition, repetition. Romans is the foundational book of the New Testament epistles. Okay, somehow or other, you can kind of lay on top the other books and their subjects on top of the book of Romans. You know, for, for example, there's the law in chapter 7, then Galatians comes on and he tells us more about the law and so forth. Okay, here we have, we have sin, all right, in 1 Corinthians. Well, sin is dealt with it's throughout the first... Seven chapters, but especially chapter 6. All right, look at Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. The sting of death is sin. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. But the point here is that the wages of sin is death. That's where the sting of death comes from. From the fact that we sin. Otherwise, it would just be a death-shadowed valley, as David put it in Psalm 23, through which we had a cross, but it's just a crossing. And, and, and if you think about it, if there's a crossing, and you're coming from a war-torn country, and you're crossing into a totally prosperous, wonderful place, death is good, right? It's just a passageway. It mat- what matters is what's on the other side of that. You see that? That's all death. Now, if, if the sting of death has not been removed, all right, if, if you have not accepted the sacrifice for sin, guess what? There's something else waiting for you on the other side of the valley. And it's not good. Nothing wrong with the valley. Something wrong with sin and what it, how it changes what's on the other end. All right, look at chapter 7 now. Verse 7, starting in verse 7. Chapter 7, verse 7. What shall we say then? Well, we know that the wages of sin is death, and we know that the sting of death is sin. What, what are we going to say? Is the law sin? I mean, after all, you just gave me this string that started with death and ended with law. Does that mean the law is sin? Of course not. May it never be. On the contrary, Paul says something really interesting. I would not have come to know sin except through the law. We had to have the law to realize we were sinners. Otherwise, and if we didn't realize we were sinners, what would we never look for? A Savior, right? On the contrary, I have not come to know sin except through the law. I wouldn't have known, for example, about coveting if the law had not said, thou shalt not covet. But what happened was, as soon as sin heard that, it took an opportunity. It says, aha, now it's been shown that I'm a sin." I'm ready. I'm full bore now to kind of demonstrate the truth of the law. But sin taking opportunity through the commandment, what? Produced in me coveting of every kind. This is why the law won't work. This is why you cannot save somebody by putting them under the law and what you say. Because it will only make things worse. That's what this says. Sin taking opportunity through the commandment produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. Think about that. Apart from the law, sin is dead? 
These are amazing things that Paul says. When something amazing and hard to understand is said in the word of God, take special note. Put it deep in your heart. It'll change your life. He said, I was once alive apart, apart from the law. But when the commandment came, thou shalt not covet, sin became alive and I died. And this commandment, which was to result in life, right, in Deuteronomy, choose life or death, right, it was to result in life, unfortunately proved to result in death for me in the human race. For sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me. And through it, killed me. So then the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. But sin comes on the scene and turns the law into a curse and results in death. Right? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Therefore, that which is good become a cause of death for me may never be. How ridiculous. No, it was sin. In order that it might be shown to be sin. I love that. You know how there are certain diseases and there are certain treatments that bring it out for a while? And so that you can deal with it? Like, I mean, seriously, right? When I had cancer of the lung, I didn't know about it, right? And then when I found out about it, I said, oh, man. But what happened? I could get it treated then. As long as I wasn't shown that it was in my body, nothing was happening good. But once I realized it, then I could deal with it. May it never be, rather it was sin, in order that it might be shown to be sin by affecting my death through that which is good, right? Have you ever had that thing where you, somebody tells you that was really bad, right? And you, and you really, ugh. but you know they're right. <laughs> you know, you recognize, wait a minute, what they're saying is good and holy. What I'm doing is bad and unholy. See, that's what the Lord does. Affecting my death through that which is good. So that through the commandment, sin would become utterly sinful. If I left it there, would you like that? Would you like to be a person in whom sin is utterly sinful? End of story, wrap up the show, walk out? Of course not. But you see, chapter 7 of Romans ends the same way that we're going to see in verse 57 of 1 Corinthians 15. What do I mean? A shout of gratitude. Once you understand that you're in a body of death and that sin in you is utterly sinful and there's not a thing you can do about it because the holy law came on the scene and you might think, oh, finally I can do something about it. I know what's holy, but you can't. Paul said, this is the body of this death. Who will rescue me out of this? And of course, that's when he shouts in verse 24 of Romans 7. Romans 7, 24. Just go forward a few verses. Wretched man that I am. That's what the law does. Makes you realize you are a wretched person without Christ. Wretched man that I am. Now he realizes, notice he realizes who, and it's not him. Who will set me free from the body of this death? Verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Changes everything. The fact that there's a Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who dealt with sin and death and the law, changes this whole picture. All right? And we see in verse Corinthians 15, how? All right. Let's go back there. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 16. 56. 1 Corinthians 15, 56. That is way too long a chapter. Let me tell you. But, but it's all on one thing, and it's a fantastic thing, so it's worth it to go through every verse. 1 Corinthians 15, 56. Again, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. That's what Romans 7, right, from verse 7 all the way, right, to verse 24 says. Again, you wouldn't want to be left there, would you? Of course not. But, thanks be to God who gives us gift. That's the only way it could happen. The only way, our bodies are dead in terms of sin. We, we have nothing at all that we can reach out for in and of ourselves or in and of this world or any other fallen human being. It's got to be a gift that we don't deserve. And it is. Thanks be to God who gives us resurrection, gives us the victory that Christ won through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, here's the point. The sting of death is sin. 
But thanks be to God, our Lord has abolished death. I want you to think about that. He's abolished death ultimately. Don't believe me? Believe the word. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 10. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 10. The sting of death is sin, but the Lord has abolished death. Second Timothy 1.10. But now, now, God's purpose, if you look at the prior verse, has been revealed. God's complete purpose for the whole human race has been revealed. How? By the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus. What did he do? What did he do? He abolished death. Who abolished past tense at the cross and in the resurrection. And brought life and immortality to light. Nobody knew about how he would bring immortality to the human race. But through his resurrection, now we saw what God was capable of with the human body. He brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. You might say, well, the gospel, yeah, the truth of the gospel. That's why I'm telling you, the power is in the word of God. Don't think that you can outsmart somebody into believing in Christ. You can't. You can do one thing. You can give them the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's it. That's it. Don't try to argue them into it. Don't try to shame them into it. Don't try to guilt them into it. Just preach the truth. The Lord Jesus Christ died for your sins. He's the Son of God. He was buried to show he died. But then on the third day, God raised his Son, the God-man, from the grave so that you can believe in him. And when you do, you'll have eternal life. I say that because don't go on and try to argue them and say, well, you know, you don't have to. The power's in the word, not in your genius. <laughs> All right, so we now share in Christ's victory over death. Check off death. That's how he can say, you know, death, where is your sting? Right? Check. Christ has had victory over death. Look at Romans 5.17. Let's go back and see the story again. Romans 5.17 For if by the transgression, and this is so amazing and so comforting actually. Because so worked up, and Paul did, so don't feel bad about it, about our sin, our sinning, our body of death. We forget where it all came from. It came from one transgression. Because Adam received one command. See, apart from the command, sin is dead. But once he understood that that's a command, guess what? He decided, you know what? I'm going to break it. Everything came from that. Boo. We see Adam, uh, we're going to boo, boo. For by the transgression of the one, death reigned. The veil through the one, much more. I love that, much more. God is much more powerful than death. Those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will what? Reign in life, that's now, by the way, through the one, Jesus Christ. Well, in addition to defeating death at the cross, and the resurrection especially, he defeated sin itself at the cross. That's the second thing, right? Law, sin, and death. He defeated death. He defeated sin. Please turn to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 26. Hebrews 9, 26. Hebrews. After Philemon, before James. That was one of those Bible names that hasn't really caught on. Philemon. I don't know any Philemons. I don't know if you... I know a lot of James, but... All right, never mind. Hebrews 9.26. Hebrews 9.26. Otherwise, he would have needed to suffer often, Christ, since the foundation of the world. But now, once, at the consummation of the ages, he, Christ, has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. His death on the cross put away sin. The sting of death is sin. Check. We're two-thirds of the way there. 
And now we who have believed in Christ have died to sin ourselves. You see, that's the thing. He gives us the victory. Now it's about us too, right? He died. He defeated sin and death. Well, guess what? We have the victory too. We're in a victorious place over sin and death ourselves. Romans 6, 2. Remember I said Romans is where we're going to be a lot. But you have to have two fingers today. Romans, 1 Corinthians. Romans 6, 2. Go back to Romans. We have died to sin ourselves. Christ, right? He wiped out sin at the cross. He put it away. We have the victory with him. Notice six, chapter 6, verse 2. May it never be, in other words, shall we continue to sin because of grace? He says, that's stupid, right? Updated translation. How shall we who died to sin, notice that's, in the, that's past now. The moment we believed in Christ, we were baptized into his death, and at that moment we died to sin. It's already happened. You know how many people are out there trying to kill sin in their life? You know? It'll never happen, by the way. It doesn't have to. We've already died to it. I wish more people would just study the Bible. Man, I'll tell you what. There'd be a lot more peace in our hearts. Yeah, we died to sin. Look at verse 8 of chapter 6. Now, if we have died with Christ, and we have, we believe that we shall also live with him, and we will at the rapture. Knowing what? That Christ, how did this happen? Having been raised from the dead is never to die again. We will be raised from the dead. Death is no longer master over him. It is no longer master over us. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. That's what we saw just in Hebrews. But the life he lives, he lives to God. And he's already given that life to us. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin. That's what people don't do. There's the fact and then there's a consideration. The the power of this whole thing is in considering it. In other words, adapt it, right? In your life, believe it. But life to God and Jesus Christ. And then finally, we have sin and death and we have the law. The Lord has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Please turn to Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. The law hostile to the human race because we couldn't keep it. The decrees against us, which which were to result in death because of our sin, well, that's no longer the case for believers. Galatians 3.13. Remember I said that Romans deals with law, chapter 7, and then Galatians comes on top of that and explains more things about it. Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us. Past tense, done deal. From what? The curse of the law. We've already redeemed. We've been bought out of that. We be, well, how did he do it? He became a curse for us. The Son of God, born of a woman, became a curse. Think about that. Think about how that shatters the universe. To have the holy, perfect Son of God become a curse. See, that's how God did it. All this flipping, nothing, nothing was more amazing and outrageous than what happened with Christ in his death and resurrection. He became a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, the crucifixion. In order that in Christ Jesus, which where we are now, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. What's that? That we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Because Abraham was justified by faith, so are we. And now we have died to the law. See, 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 the, see the great symmetry here? Christ dealt with death at the cross. We are victorious over death. Christ, Christ dealt with sin at the cross. We are victorious over sin. Christ dealt with the law at the cross. We are victorious over the curse of the law. What's left? Resurrection. Resurrection. We have died to the law. Please, please turn to Romans chapter 7, verse 4. We'll, we'll wrap this up. Romans 7, 4. <clears throat> Let this sink in. Alright? We've died to sin. Why are you thinking you can do anything about it? Christ did everything about it. 
We died to the law. What are you doing messing around with the law thinking it's going to make you improve? Okay, okay, right now I'm never going to cover it again. Never going to do it. I'm, I can do this now. No. You don't have to. Because Christ already dealt with the law and you've already died to it. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ. Why? So that you may sin like crazy. Is that what it says? Of course not. You fool. That's what he already said in chapter 6. No. So that you might be joined to another. Who? Christ who was raised from the dead. You, you, God said, you died of the law. You, you died of sin. You've overcome death. Why? So that we might be joined to Christ who was raised from the dead. Why? In order to bear fruit for God. Remember how I said looking at the hope in the future ought to change everything about your life now? How does that work? Having wiped out all the impediments, sin, death, and the law, he now turns to us and he says, now, bear fruit. Our bodies are important. Bear fruit does not mean plant a garden of you know, grapes and apricots, right? It means change lives now. Build up one another. God triumphs over sin and death. The only fitting response to this amazing victory is a shout of joy and thanksgiving. Next week, we're going to see that the Christian life is designed by the Lord, the Christian life, to be a victorious life. We overwhelmingly conquer, whether it's whatever it is that we face, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword, death itself. We've overwhelmingly conquered through him who loved us. That's what we're going to pick it up next Sunday. That's why one verse is going to bring this all together and put it in our lives now. That's why I'm spending a week on one. All right, let's close. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much. It's incredible. We will never, ever, ever be able to plumb the depths of what it took for you to have your son die for us and for you to raise him from the dead in ultimate power so that we might have that victory that, that totally by grace. And Father, help us to just go back to these verses and again and again so that it sinks in finally what this all means. The freedom that we have because of these victories. And it's not as, it's not supposed to, we're not supposed to use our freedom on our own selfish desires, but rather to serve others. Help us again, have the Holy Spirit show us real specific things that we can do to serve other people. Asking all of this in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen. All right, so this Thursday we'll have our next Bible study. It's on Skype. You see, the thing I love about it being on Skype, we may just keep it there. Because now nobody has any excuse. Well, you know, I don't like to drive at night. Well, you know. There's no more well you know. It's just click. Voila. All right? So I expect to see a lot of you. I do see a lot of you. All right? It's a wonderful thing. All right? We're continuing on eternal security. If you do need a link, please email mark at lbible.org. He spells his name with a C. M-A-R-C at lbible.org. All right, every time we get together, we should rehearse in our hearts the truth of the gospel because that's what lives life to the dead, the spiritually dead, dead in their sins and trespasses. The gospel, that Jesus Christ is God's son, the God-man. He went to the cross because we couldn't ever deal with our own sins. He died for our sins. He was buried and he was raised again on the third day. So that whoever believes in him, it doesn't say whoever fixes their life, whoever gets rid of sin in their life, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say who, even whoever asks Jesus in your heart. It says what? So simple. Believe. So simple. Hear good news and believe it. That's all it's asking you to do. And you'll have eternal life. All right, if you have any questions about the message today, you can email me at pastor. That is spelled correctly. I know Mark should have a K, but, you know, it's not P-A-S-T-E-R. P-A-S-T-O-R at L-B-I-B-L-E dot org. All right, let's close one more time in prayer. Father, help us to live these victorious lives that you sent your son to die 
and be raised from the dead so that we could. Help us to look forward with anticipation to the rapture, to that day when we will be lifted up into the clouds to be with your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, forever. And in the meantime, let us do our work heartily as unto the Lord. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. By the power of the Spirit, we pray. Amen. All right. With that, you're dismissed. Protect yourselves, but have fun anyway. Victory. Yeah.